Hello everyone, this is Bilyan Tolum from VWFM and you are currently listening to the VWFM podcast that is the voice of the workforce management professionals. My special guest in this podcast is one of my colleagues that I really enjoy to work with him, uh, Daniel Christmas, WFO Solution Consultant at 5.9. Dan is an experienced consultant and skilled trainer over 20 years of experience here in the UK. I believe it will be really productive talk with a nice list of the subjects for dance, WFM journey. But before we go there, as always, let's hear more about dance. Hi Dan, thank you for joining. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me uh, here today. Cool. Daniel, uh, could you please introduce yourself a bit and share your journey with us? Okay. I'm based in the southwest of the UK in uh, Somerset. I've been uh, working in uh, WFO and in this area for pretty much my entire career. So uh, not wishing to give my age away too much, but this is you know, 25 years of, of really focusing on uh, WFM and wider WFO uh, practices. Um, I started off uh, working in contact centers, um, worked my way up through the ranks from an agent through to uh, team leads and then to the manager. But most of my time has actually been uh, working in, uh, in the supplier side, so providing WFO and WFM technologies into organizations and helping companies transition into those products, so helping them start to make their own journeys into using workforce management to uh, turn their businesses around. That looks like a fantastic journey also for yourself, because, you know, when you start beginning, including uh, operation support groups like IT, telephony, uh, all stakeholders, eventually workforce management teams of the clients uh, have contributed to you a lot and as well as your teams, of course. Yeah, you should know this business very well. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what I would like to is that also, uh, do you have any part of WFM that is more like than the others? Oh, that's a really good question. So, uh, I mean, I, I obviously, you know, I, in my, my current role and in the, in the roles that I've performed, I, I have the luxury of playing with lots of uh, different uh, types of tools and different types of technology um, and uh, also working with large customers and small customers and everything in between. So I get to see... WFM in all of its different uh, different guises. Uh, for me, one of the things about WFM that I really like is the way that WFM uh, systems can be used to support flexible working, to help agents maintain a really good uh, work-home balance. So I like the ways that tools increasingly can help improve agent autonomy. So they allow users to do things like shift swaps and express their working preferences, but also create more opportunities for agents to be self-sufficient, to be able to drive their own, uh, own uh, decisions and to make their own requests without having to rely on supervisors and team leaders. So they basically have much more control over what they do. Now, traditionally, many of the companies that I've worked for, particularly when I first started out in this industry, tended to be really tentative with automation, uh, particularly with, when it came to things like time off request and request management in general. So they would want to control very closely the process of approvals, the process of withdrawals and escalations of mm -hmm. requests, 
very reluctant to try and hand over that to some form of AI or to, to automate in any way. So what I'm seeing as I start to work with more companies and as I move through is that increasingly now they are beginning to kind of take those tentative steps into automation. And now they're looking at ways in which they can add more and more to the process. Um, often it starts with time off, but it now extends into other things like requesting training and other things as well. But really, it's looking at ways in which they can get quick wins um, by doing relatively simple things like putting in approvals processes that um, allow agents to get everything approved automatically without the, the need to involve a, a supervisor. But now increasingly, it's not about just, OK, you've got time off there before you can make a request. But now we're, what we're beginning to kind of move into is actually the, the kind of concept that now people can make requests and the tools that we're using are now so sophisticated that they can start to actually apply the kind of logic that we would use or look for supervisor or managers to impart on that decision making. So they can actually consider requests, not just on the basis of, you know, have you got time in the pool, but actually will that request give your business a net improvement? Will it actually give you some genuine benefits? And they can actually make decisions which you know, you would normally think about a human sitting there making. And, and it's these types of smart rules that are coming in that I think are beginning to really change that game. So really, the idea of being able to now do a lot more uh, with the automation and to, to make it more uh, autonomous, um, I think we're, we're really beginning to see some really exciting things coming along. And now we can create much more flexibility in the whole decision-making process and start to drive improvements throughout uh, with some really, you know, starting some really simple processes, but we can get some really big results quite quickly. And that, that's what interests me. And I think it's going to only get uh, more exciting as the technology improves. This is very well explained. Um, that sounds a little bit complex and the huge workload behind the scenes just to make the agent's life easier and increase the productivity of the operations in contact center business. And I believe that is that a collaboration is required between the WFM systems and operational management. So what is the most uh, significant part about that collaboration for you? Yeah, so that, that's, again, it's, an, it's another good question. And, and it's one of the things that I'm passionate about, particularly in WFM, is, the, is really recognizing and stepping up that, and realizing that, you know, this process has to involve collaboration from the beginning. So um, it's kind of important, although, you know, we, we think about WFM specialists often sitting away and doing their things uh, and often seen as a bit of a, a kind of black magic going on. Um, it's really important to understand that that doesn't happen in isolation. So when we start to think about the way that things happen and things improve, it's really common now for my conversations, particularly with new customers, to start quite early with the HR team um, and looking at how closely workforce management is tied into the HR and HCM human capital management processes that go within a business. I'm increasingly working with, with these types of teams, not just on how workforce management uh, kind of can interface into their business, but starting from first principles, thinking about how we, we design and our recruitment policies, how we construct our shifts, how we actually recruit from the beginning people into the WFM program that we're constructing. Increasingly, I'm working with customers who want to look at automate other processes other than just request management, but looking at things like 
how can we empower our agents to manage their own development? So how can we allow them to book personal development time? How can they manage and enroll in training classes? And again, coming from a, a background as a trainer and having a, a genuine interest in training in contact center industries, yeah. um, I'm really interested in the ways that tighter integration with HR systems and with WFM tools provides an opportunity for both the employees to control their own, own training but also provides significant benefits for HR. They can track and manage you know, accreditations and training that are taking place. They can reward and empower staff to manage their own uh, development plans. But from a WFM team, we get much more accurate information when we start to see how much time the training is actually taking in practice. We can feed that in to get closer results mm -hmm. into, our, into our planning. So our shrinkage gets better. Um, and we can get much more or much improved accuracy in our, in our whole forecasting process. And I saw some really interesting things in the, in the COVID, uh, COVID pandemic that we kind of uh, just went through. Um, and it was really fascinating to see some of the challenges that people use WFM to address. So one of the companies that I worked with was looking at a way to use WFM tool to enable them to schedule vaccination clinics for their staff. So to set up clinics that people could uh, sign up to within their schedule, to allow them to automatically register for the vaccination at a particular time and a particular clinic, but then taking that journey onto the next stage where it hooks back into the HR system, updating the HR system with the vaccination status, then mm -hmm. feeding that information through to the planning team so that they know that staff are now vaccinated, so they can now be scheduled back from homework and back into office working. So it was a really interesting use of the tool and it actually streamlined a process that was traditionally quite complex. So those types of things are always you know, really fascinating for me. And I, I think that you can't overestimate, or I say you can't underestimate how important it is to have that very close working relationship with the other areas of the business. It's, it's what makes WFM successful. That is brilliant because it is another super benefit and the proof of using an effective feature of WFM process, including Again, an effective HR collaboration. Thanks for this real life example. I'm sure that is one of the most interesting stories for WFM listeners, especially, you know, during this pandemic situation. Okay, uh, was there anyone that crossed paths with you who, who has been most influential to you? Uh, I've, I've had the privilege of working with some very talented WFM professionals in my, in my time, but Thinking about you know the person who I'd say probably had the most influence on me, it was actually uh, one of the first people that I worked with with workforce management quite early in my career, uh, which was uh, a, a guy called Jamie Pickup. He's actually the director of the consultancy practice for uh, Bering and Amir. Um, I worked with Jamie for many years in in a in a, in a different consultancy role, um, but he was the first person who really showed me how workforce management, when done correctly could really change a business for the better it drove my interest to actually pursue a career and keep my keep the career that i'm doing in wfo and it also allowed me to uh, kind of see the importance of workforce management as a key pillar within the workforce optimization strategy you have a lot of knowledge so then i need to ask this question what is the one thing you wish you had known when you begin your career okay yeah, so I mean, uh, thinking back, um, again, probably seems obvious today, but when I started out, I really wish I'd realised how important it was to really work closely with, with HR and involve, and to involve them in the process. 
Um, you know, there are a couple of challenges that every company that uses workforce management will see at one time or another. The first of these is very quickly you're going to realize that there's no such thing as a standard shift. You know, so if I construct, if I construct a shift, which is, you know, uh, nine to six, uh, and I build a shift in that way, wonderful. And if I get all my staff working on that, that's mm -hmm. great. But call volumes fluctuate. Um, we yeah. should know about the demand curve. The, you know, the demand curve throughout the day is not a static thing. It goes up and down and changes. That's why workforce management exists. It's because we need to address exactly. that fluctuating demand. Now, the fact that it does change means that if we constrain ourselves by having rigid concepts of shifts, rigid concepts of what people are going to work, then we're already working with one hand tied behind our back. We're never actually going to see the real benefits of workforce management because we've already made a decision that limits our potential uh, improvement. So one of the things that's really important to do is to think, well, I wish I'd realised, again, it's really important to do, is that you need to be thinking that that picture of what the end game looks like from the beginning you need to work with the hr team when recruiting staff looking at the way that you design shifts working looking at the way that you construct and recruit people from the very beginning so make sure you recruit with the right expectations or do you want to recruit part-timers do you want to recruit people who are going to be flexible or embrace flexible working do you need to recruit people who will be prepared to work split shifts but you need to have that picture in your head and you need to work with HR from the beginning to fulfill that picture and to make sure mm -hmm. that reality exists. And this kind of leads on to my second thing that I wish I'd known to start. I know you only asked me for one, but I've got a second one as well, <laughs> which I hope you don't mind. It's um, when I started out here, um, one of the things that, like many people starting in workforce management, I always assumed that when I'm constructing my schedule and I'm putting it together, if I've got shortfalls, okay, I'm going to get offered some overtime and there's going to be a massive queue of people around the block wanting to fill that overtime and to take it on. Uh, that's my experience, and I'm sure the experience of many of your listeners, that will definitely be something that you see, you know is not true. The expectation is that, you know, these long queue of people exist is, is false. Many people, and increasingly, will, will actually perceive their personal time, their family time as much more important to them than any amount of money that you could offer them for, for overtime or availability. Of course, there will always be people who will want the overtime, but it's really important, and I wish I'd known this from the beginning, it's really important to understand that people really are motivated by different things. So looking at ways that you can create flexibility in your, in your scheduling so that you know, if flexibility might be allowing people to work from home so that they can fit and work around kids coming home from school. Mm -hmm. That gives you an, a massive body of people who can potentially fill short yeah. in your schedule just by being creative in the way that you build your program and the flexibility that you can offer. And it's these alternatives and being open to those alternatives, I think, is a really important lesson. And if you, you go into this business with that perception, you, you will you know, have the right conversations with people. I could not agree more about the moment of HR and flexibility feature. I said before, there should be a collaboration set up among stakeholders to establish this effective WFM cycle to achieve the goals in any circumstances, as you said. Okay, so what about if I ask you what workforce management means to you in your own words? Uh, so as a trainer, I've had to you know, deliver this message about what workforce management is many yeah. times. And I'm sure we've all heard the Workforce management is about getting the right people in the right yeah. place, the right time with the right skills in order to service our demand. But for me, really, that's not workforce management. 
Workforce management is now, to me, much more about allowing businesses to service their demands, but do so by creating flexibility for their workforces. So rather than an imposition, workforce management for now is servicing demand through greater flexibility. And if that idea of using workforce management as a mechanism for creating a healthier and better um, work home life balance, to me, that, that's really what workforce management is about. Yeah, that's right. However, uh, you know, it is still optimization. So even the WFM standard explanation should be evolved after these technological changes, I believe. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you can't get away with it about optimization because it's about improving. It's improving efficiencies. It's improving also the, the, the life and the culture for your employees. It's making improvements across the board. Mm, yeah. But it is optimization at the heart of it. There's no getting away from that. So what we're trying to do is drive improvements. But I think where is it's traditionally uh, traditionally seen, particularly in Europe, as, as, a, as a, a tool to control, um, it's now shouldn't be, I don't believe, seen in that way. If done properly, workforce management is about driving optimization through collaborations, not just with your stakeholders, but with your employees as well. To make mm-hmm. sure that everybody gets their gets the benefits and improves yes. their work out of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. And what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a workforce management or operation career? Oh, that's a difficult. Again, you yeah. hit me a lot of <laughs> difficult questions today. Um, for me, um, again, I think really, um, if I was going to pick, you know, a, a bit of advice to give you, it would be. If you want to get started in this area, make sure you really get to know the business area that you're going to be working with. And I mean, really get to know it. And for me, my number one start point is start talking to your employees. So understand from your employees, your customers, your stakeholders, look at the processes that are working, look at the processes that aren't and the pain points and go into it with an open mind. Workforce management tools give organizations the opportunity to address many different issues. And often, you know, if we focus on just going in there and we're going to going to look at the demand and we're going to produce some uh, a forecast and set some schedules up to make sure we get what we need, you're missing a trick because often some of the issues in an area or business will experience, they are also ones that WFM can help with and can fix. So understanding why there are inefficiencies and what some of those problems might be will actually give you a much better chance of actually delivering WFM in a successful way, in a way that's actually going to be embraced by the business, but because you started by talking to the employees, also embraced by the employees. And for me, when I've worked throughout Europe and I've delivered WFM within the European environment, starting with the employees, the workers' councils, people in other other aspects of the organisation such as that, if done properly, Workforce management will evolve, sorry, the whole organization, take it forward, and everybody will get benefits from it. If it's done badly, then the doors just slam in your face and you can't move forward and deliver WFM. So, again, going into an open mind, having the conversations and getting to know your business, really making sure you get to know it before you dive in, that would be my advice. Cool. Yeah, and you said that before you were working as head of training. So, do you see a structural change in the profile of the support agent? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So 
if we look at, you know, I've been doing this for many years, if you look at agents when I started um, and you look at the profile of agents today, you know, we can't get away from the fact that only, you know, five years ago, agents were doing lots and lots of repetitive calls, low skill calls, high volumes calls. And the nature of the call that agents were doing was completely different. Increasingly, with the use of virtual, virtual agents and bots and other aspects of AI coming into the contact center, those types of um, kind of high volume, low technicality skills of all sorry, are being handled by, uh, by AI. And that means that agents are now increasingly taking on the roles of expert advisor, they're taking on the role of you know, consultant, they're talking on the roles of account managers, and they're actually not just dealing with simple calls, but they're actually really having a in-depth and often complex conversation with your customers. Obviously, that creates, you know, a much more opportunity for your agents to make an impression and requires much more in-depth skills and knowledge on the part of the contact center agents that we see today. So they're not seen as just simple call takers. They're now seen and treated as they should be as specialists. Mm -hmm. Now, as the profile of the agents has really changed, um, what we are now seeing is that agents are also now having to be experts across phone, voice, right? So the voice channel, the social media channels, so chat and email. And this now means that agents now need to be much more multi-skilled in the way that they deal with media and they deal with contact. So as your agents have more complex conversations, what I'm seeing, and from a training perspective, much more understanding on the part of employee employers sorry that their agents have the ability to delight or to deter a customer just in that one conversation we should all know that in a, in a highly competitive market it only takes one bad conversation to actually you know lose a customer they can walk through a competitor very easily equally you only need one conversation to delight a customer for that to make a lifelong um, commitment to make a good commitment to that customer uh, and to that company. So what we're seeing, or what I'm seeing, is as the profile of the agent changes, what I'm seeing is now companies now putting much more focus on training, much more uh, focus on personal empowerment, personal development. Uh, so I am seeing, or have been seeing, increases in use of tools such as automated quality monitoring, the use of uh, allied technologies like speech and uh, mm -hmm. voice of customer programs, but that's being tied up with investments in e-learning, self-scheduling for lessons, so allowing users to book time off to do their own training courses, to do their own development, putting in personal development time into the schedule, actually planning it in as something that people yeah. have to take. And they are investing in that education and development of their staff in a way that I've never seen before. So compared to three years ago, I would say I'm seeing a 20, 25% increase in, in, in training incentives in the schedule. So training being built in, it's definitely on the increase in the organizations that, I, that I'm, I'm working with. Okay. Well, also UK has a very strong WFM tradition. And for some reason, the rest of the Europe took longer to understand on a border level of the importance of WFM and its benefits to the organizations. Why do you think this happened? As I mentioned, I've worked across with clients across Europe um, and 
when I'm working in the, the European Union, um, lots of, particularly in countries like France and Germany, I think one of the things that we see is that the uptake in WFM is generally a little bit slower because there is not just obviously the cultural differences that we have, but you know, the focus on you know, home and personal life and, and that side of, uh, of things being is different in, in many European countries. But I think in the early days of WFM, particularly when it started to be rolled out in, in Europe, it was seen as a one of those tools of management, almost like a big brother tool, coming in to increase productivity at the expense of work-life balance. And it comes back to a point that I made earlier. Introducing workforce management without taking the employees, the agents with you to not having those conversations really sets up a, a barrier before you start. It creates distrust between the employees and, and, the, and the management, which means that it can almost have a tainted view when it's introduced. And I think you know, the general maturity is because there's been a slow uptake in WFM when you're compared to the UK, I think they're probably about three years behind us, like a hockey curve, about three years behind the UK in terms of the view of what WFM can do can do for you and what you can do for a business. So I think mm-hmm. slow, but I can see signs now that it's accelerating. So I think that we mm-hmm. are going, we're entering a phase now where we're coming to the top of the hockey, hockey stick where we're going to go around the corner and we're going to see things accelerate quite quickly. And the conversations that I'm having now are now changing. So, you know, people are now on board with the fact that they need to Im- Im- take a bottom-up approach rather than a top-down approach to WFM. And I think that that now is beginning to see uh, benefits in, in Europe. And, and getting, we, I think we will start to see some quite rapid growth over the next year or so. Yeah, and also what was interesting for me is that when I started working in the UK market, I noticed that uh, the workforce management needs something else compared to resource planning. And for example, if, if I need to compare that with another country, uh, which is Dutch market, it is uh, completely uh, same as it is. I mean, it is used as workforce management. For example, in Turkey, it is just planning. Yes. Just planning, for example, it is completely different. And I think this is based on the these differences coming from uh, based on the experience of the market per country. This is what I estimate. This is what I'm trying to figure out. I think this is why OUK uh, has uh, something else compared to other European markets for a workforce management perspective. This is what I think. It's interesting. You, do you not think it's part of the maturity model as as people develop and their, their WFM strategies and they become more robust? You don't think there's a more of a separation of roles at that point? Um, mm-hmm. So you, as, a, as an organization matures, I, I I think there's a lot to be said for you know a generalist um, approach to WFM where you have one team looking at it as a single as a as a single end-to-end strategy, but equally in a, in you know in a mature market it's quite common to see that the roles fragment so people take over the specialism in planning specialism in forecasting and the internet mm-hmm. specialism that come out, and I think that you know cultural differences aside i think there's an aspect of maturity in the in the way that the process has, has evolved within uh, the uk and i think that we're getting to the point now where we are beginning to see the idea of those specialist roles not necessarily being the only way to do the workforce management so much more common now is to see um, a, a, an organization which rather than having siloed roles, particularly when they're at a certain size, will have just a specialist 
one function does everything yeah 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 it's aligned with what's happening in europe this is what i used to be being chinese yeah <laughs> yeah okay and what would be your top three strategies for workforce management right um okay i'm gonna kind of go, go with three ones which have always served me well when i've looked at working with a new company engage staff in the process have conversations and that i mean let's just make it simple talk about the preferences do you have a preference for overtime do you feel mm -hmm. like coming in early um talk about the circumstances get to know the people that you're planning for okay so you can use that to your advantage when constructing the schedules and it can help you to understand what the likelihood is of being able to leverage uh, flexibility in your teams to be able to fill gaps so get to know your staff engage them in the process that's number one try and get away from a one-size-fits-all mentality all right so okay i'm going to build a shift and it's going to have a one-hour lunch break but don't assume that everybody wants a one hour lunch break. Okay. I might want one hour because I have, I want to go to the gym in my lunch break. So I might want an hour, but the person I'm sitting next to might actually prefer to take their one hour in two 30 minute chunks or to take it in three 20 minute breaks. Applying this kind of concept of one size fits all means you've automatically limited yourself to what your staff can do. Again, if you take point one, talk to your employees and take point two, adopt a flexible approach then actually by doing something simple, like moving some employees to three 20 minute breaks rather than a one hour break, or moving employees to two 30 minute breaks rather than a one hour lunch break, that gives you much more flexibility when you start to consider the, the, uh, the demand curve that you're gonna see. So when you have those peaks and troughs, you can use that again to help you bridge those gaps and much more efficiently in your program. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's come out of COVID and because of the way that businesses have had to grow up and, and adapt to ways of working, let's keep our flexibility. Let's be flexible. Yeah. Let's look at ways in which we can use workforce management tools effectively to allow employees to flex their working. Allow them, you know, looking at processes that you can build into your workforce management tools to promote the ability to flex, not just when you work and how you work but where you work so using technology to enable people to work from home allow people to work you know come in early or make up time late look at the ways that flexibility can be built into your program to allow again you to be able to get that maximum efficiency out of your out of your schedule that you build yeah exactly because you know as you mentioned this engaging stuff avoiding in one size fits and being flexible they are all related at the beginning of this WFM cycle, which is recruitment. I mean, this can be done in the, in the recruitment cycle before forecasting scheduling, before forecasting or planning can be uh, effective negatively. So this is really important keys. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you build it into the, the relationship with your HR and you build it in at the beginning in the recruitment, yeah, yeah. then you put the right building blocks to get success at the end of the cycle. But it's important that we don't forget that just because we haven't done it at the beginning, it doesn't mean that we still can't get the benefits. Yeah. Again, assuming that just assuming that people will work overtime or people will work in a particular way is, is dangerous for workforce management because those assumptions are rarely going to be borne out with, with fact. So if I was going to say one of those three to take away, if you haven't done so, 
talk to your staff about way they work and how they want to work and what you they can do for you work with them rather than impose something on them and the end result will be better and it's always amazes me when i go into some mature organizations who have been using workforce management for many years that they haven't really talked to the, the staff those that have been recruited they're setting out daily schedules or weekly schedules for their staff saying what they're going to be working but they really haven't spoken to people about what their preferences are, what their flexibility is like, what the circumstances are. So they, they don't understand what they can do and how it can work. And it's not surprising that lots of these organizations also experience significant levels of churn. So, you know, if you are imposing something on your staff and you're not involving them in the process, one of the unfortunate side effects is, you know, you do get unhappy employees and you do get high levels of churn. So really important. Yeah. Okay, so as I said at the beginning of our conversation, uh, it's a very productive chat. And thank you for joining again because we are out of time. And uh, there's a huge thank you for you uh, setting aside some time today for us. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Bea. Thank you for listening to VWFM. This podcast is made and produced by Andre Leitão, Bilga Hentelun, Doug Carsten, Gonzalo Gomes, and Kim Paz. If you like this show, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues. Visit our website, wwfm.com, to find more exclusive interviews and WFM content. See you next time. All rights reserved.